Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. On this episode of American Education FM, I have a conversation with John Clement. He's the creator of MrScienceAcademy.com, which is an online homeschooling assistant to science instruction, and it's also a preparatory academy for advanced placement and advanced credits before entering the college and university levels. Again, if this is up your alley, please reach out to him at MrKScienceAcademy.com. A little bit about my background and everything. Um, I come from like a family line of teachers, like five generations. Um, I, uh, uh, everybody on my, my mom was a teacher and everybody on my dad's side of the teacher, everybody on my dad's side of the family they were either a career teacher or they were a teacher for some significant part of their career. So yeah, I was kind of doomed. Um, <laughs> uh, I, uh, I remember when I was three years old, um, I asked my dad, you know, just like little, little kids will do, you know, asking all those questions. I asked my dad what everything was made of. And he said, atoms. And then he proceeded to explain to me at like a three-year-old level some concept of what atoms were. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I, I was doomed. I've been kind of a kind of a nerd all my life. And um, uh, so my main area of teaching has been science, but um, I've also written uh, novels and things. And once in a while, uh, when I was at different schools over the years, the English department would joke about how they, tried to, they wanted to steal me from the science department once they found out I was an author. <laughs> But, um, there you go. so I, uh, I got my uh, bachelor's degree in biochemistry from the university of Missouri, Columbia, and then I uh, didn't go into teaching right away because as I mentioned that both my parents were teachers and I, my parents weren't really happy with it. At least that wasn't my perception of it growing up as their kid. Um, you know, I grew up listening to my parents and, and hearing them kind of complain a little bit and betch a little bit about, for instance, um, the hours, like the teacher's job is never over because not only are you reading papers and stuff uh, outside of school, but then, you know, you're expected to support the school community by showing up at everything, all the basketball games, all the football games and going to tournaments and everything. And, um, uh, all just supporting all the extracurricular activities and being seen. And, and so, um, you know, my parents kind of drilled into me that the teacher's job is never done. And, uh, uh, and also, you know, they were in a few school situations, um, that weren't, you know, weren't, weren't the best. And, uh, uh, you know, there were some, uh, definitely like some small town politics involved and stuff like that. And so my parents were just in some situations that, uh, being their kid and growing up in their house as their kid, I just didn't see that as something worthwhile to do that I thought made my parents unhappy and, and stuff. So when I got my degree in biochemistry in my twenties and got my bachelor's degree, I thought, well, I'm going to get just going to science without the education part. I'm not going to be a teacher. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, I kind of got roped into uh, teaching. I, I had a, uh, I kind of had a meeting with God. I was, uh, um, I had just gotten laid off from my first laboratory job outside of, uh, out, you know, out of college. And, uh, while I was on unemployment and everything thinking about, and I had no experience, you know, like uh, in your early twenties, you know, you don't know anything yet. You know, 
I didn't understand, you know, how to pick up pieces of a broken life or how, what to do when things go wrong or things get a little off course or how to go to plan B or plan C or plan D or whatever in your life. So this is my first experience in life being unemployed. And, and, uh, I was at a red light literally in my car driving around one day and uh, a friend of mine had just said uh, the day before, he was kind of a spiritual mentor to me at the time, and he had just said uh, to me that uh, uh, God's plan for you is better than your plan for you. And this was in the context that we'd been talking about, uh, you know, we were both in our early 20s, we both recently graduated college and recently gotten married, and so... Uh, it's not quite the same as still being a kid, but we were just getting started in life. So we were just talking about what what life had ahead for us and what we were going to do with the rest of our adult lives. And And he said, you know, John, God's plan for you is better than your plan for you. Whatever you think you've got set up for yourself or whatever you think you're going to go chase or do or pursue, he said, God made you and he knows what your gifts and talents are because he put those inside you and he knows what will fulfill you because he put your purpose inside you. And so if you can figure out what he wants you to do, that'll be way more fulfilling than anything you might think of to chase in your imagination. And so I was at a red light, literally, and this conversation was playing back in my mind from the day before, and I was thinking about being unemployed, and what am I going to do? And um, so I realized that I had run away from teaching. That <laughs> pretty much, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of stuck that way. My mom tells a story about when I was four years old and my sister was two years old. I could already read at age four. And she said that one time I was trying to uh, teach my two-year-old sister to read when she was two and I was four. And apparently I said, this is how my mom quotes it, apparently four-year-old me said, um, come on, sis, you don't want people to think you're dumb. There you go. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the, point, the point of all this memory lane stuff is that I'm just doomed, you know, like I, I've accepted that I just, you know, teaching is just, just what I do, you know, <laughs> and it's, you know. But you're not doomed. I mean, well, not. I mean, I'm doomed in this, in, in sort of a facetious, fun sense of I don't have a choice and I get to joke around about it, but no, yeah, it, it is very fulfilling. Yeah, that's, that's, ve that's a very, uh, that's a very profound thing that your, that your friend told you. And well, and I, I think about how I was literally at a red light when that, epiphany came upon me and and i and since i was unemployed i was at also metaphorically at a red light as well <laughs> there, there you go so describe a little bit then uh how you how you specifically started teaching and then some of the things that you started to witness within the environment where you were teaching well the very first school that i taught at was actually the the very same high school where i had graduated high school so that was like nostalgia city <laughs> Um, and so I was teaching science in the very same room where I had taken uh, biology when I had been a sophomore and physics when I had been a senior. And um, that was uh, that was very interesting. Um, I remember um, a week or so ago when you and I had talked about me uh, guesting on the podcast here today, that you had mentioned that some of the things that, that um, the audience likes to hear sometimes is some of the stuff that goes on at the schools and I think I joked with you about how yeah I did have a few um, stories and I'll try not to go Jerry Springer you know make them all salacious like the Jerry Springer show or something but <laughs> but uh, one of my first like wake up moments uh, in terms of uh, reality versus expectations um, was uh, I was in my you know early 20s 
just, you know, um, uh, I, I was on uh, in Missouri at the time in science. They had what they called emergency certification. So I didn't have to, I could just jump right into teaching because of the emergency certification and then fill in, uh, you know, the certification classes as, you know, as I went. So, um, so I was in the classroom and, um, uh, this is the story of how I got my rule that students do not approach, uh, do not get on my side of the desk. This is why that rule has to exist. Um, uh, first few weeks of school, um, this, um, young lady, um, wants some help on the board doing some math. I have her over to my side of the desk, first and only student ever, never again. It's where this rule came from. Uh, and so, but see, that's what I grew up with, though. I mean, that was just right. normal to me, is that is that uh, I would stand next to my teachers and get help on the board. So I figured that was normal. <laughs> and uh, but this young lady, um, you know, was rather gifted in the upper torso, anatomically, shall we say, and she pushed herself into me in an inappropriate and uncomfortable fashion. And, um, I, this, see, this is where this is going. You know, this is why we have the rule that students don't come on my side of the desk. <laughs> but, uh, um, they, uh, I am, I remember that when that kind of thing happens, you have a split second to make a decision of how to deal with it. And it seems like your brain goes a million miles an hour. And all of a sudden you can have all sorts of thoughts in about two seconds. Um, so I could easily relate how when people say that they think they're going to die, they see their life flash before their eyes because it's amazing how fast your brain can move in an emergency. So I, uh, I I saw two courses of action here. One was I imagined the world that I had grown up in. Um, I turned 50 a couple weeks ago. I was born in 1971. And when I was growing up, there were shows on TV like The Waltons and Little House on the Prairie and Eight is Enough and this sort of wholesome family fair where you know, kids could get off track, but then they got, you know, things got worked out. And so I could see how like, or even, uh, there were reruns, of course, when I was a kid, but there was even Leave it to Beaver and Andy Griffith show. And so I could kind of see how in a traditional world I could, um, you know, talk to the principal and talk to the parents and maybe we could talk in the office with this girl about how her behavior was kind of inappropriate and stuff like that. And that's what would happen in a traditional leave it to beaver kind of world. But then I imagined what would happen probably in the real world. <laughs> and in the real world, I would probably uh, get fired and have some sort of terrible stain on my record that would like tank my teaching career before it even got started. And so I could see these two, um, outcomes in front of me, the traditional one and the realistic one. And so what my mind came up with in that split second was to just pretend it's not happening. And so I concluded, um, I concluded, uh, helping her through that particular math problem, just as if it wasn't happening. Like I just totally tuned that out and just proceeded with the conversation the way it would normally go. And she sat down at her desk again and then, and never again, you know, that was like the year uh, 2000. So this story, this is 2021. So the story is like 21 years old. Since the last 21 years, I have never, 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 never allowed a student to be on my side of the desk again, just for my own protection. And I quickly learned that just like other teachers when I was growing up, I can read upside down. <laughs> so you can, so if you're my student, you can stay on your side of the desk and I'll, don't worry, I can read upside down. <laughs> That's really interesting, though. That I mean, that's uh, uh, wow. That's that's very interesting. It's an interesting dynamic when 
you're you're you have both of those scenarios running through your mind and you choose a third scenario which is to act as if it isn't happening that was the, that was the only thing i could come up with in that split second and then of course put a rule in place so that that situation couldn't happen again right well that's that's good clearly i mean that's clearly thinking on your toes and and you know coming up with a logical workaround i i mean i completely agree with you that I mean, I was in the same situation, if you don't mind me quickly stating. You know, I, I was in a similar situation, not not quite like that, but mentally where you're in a situation where you're, you, you believe what the right answer is and you want to take a morally sound approach to the right answer, assuming that you live in a leave-it-to-beaver kind of world. That, you know, if you have a parent conference, everybody's just going to understand. And then you quickly realize that the logical approach isn't logical for everybody. And by and by not acting, you can actually, or even by acting appropriately, you can actually cause a lot of harm, at least in the minds of some. But wow, that's that's really interesting. Yep, and that you know, so that was, um, so you know, I've, you know, I, I've seen some things. I mean, uh, if I ever get into a, a small talk about my teaching career, and people kind of ask me about things I've seen. You know, there's there's a particular school I was in where I can just give people highlights of just you know, cause the, the schools aren't all the same. You know, I mean, uh, so so there's but there's one particular school where in that same year, um, one of uh, my students uh, raped another one of my students in a PE locker room. Um, uh, and uh, I was in a you know, and in that same school, um, when we tried to do science. Uh, labs the students decided to take the live flaming bunsen burners and try to fight with them like they were lightsabers uh and why not <laughs> yeah I mean, so um but yeah yeah uh, and you know there was another school i was at where um uh and this is where i started the practice of uh every day before school i would walk around my classroom and just pray over the chairs pray over the students that would be in that those chairs that day because i was this was like just a this particular school, this, 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 this not the one, this is a different one now, but um, one of my students was a sophomore. She was like 15 years old. And what her mother did for a living was she ran a crack house and she let one of the crack customers get her 15 year old daughter, my student, pregnant. So um, wow. I, uh, I know I came on your show to promote what I'm doing, but you kind of, uh, last week when we talked, you said, you know, your, the audience likes to hear about what's really going on in the schools. And that's one thing, the episodes that I've been able to listen of AmericanEducationFM.com, that's one of the awesome things that you do on your show is you're, you're really, one of the things you're doing is you're peeling back the curtain and showing people what's, I mean, what's really going on. I mean, um, at even a deeper level than just reading the news, because as educators, you know, like when I see a news article about something, you know, I'll look at it because I'm an educator. My mind is primed to look at that. But uh, what happens on here on American Education FM podcast, um, because you have the background that you have and you have the guests on that you have with the, the background they have and the places they've been and the things they've seen here on American Education FM, I think people can get several onion layers deeper than just paying attention to what's going on in the news and what's ha happening in the news is bad enough. Yeah, and not only well, I appreciate that. I appreciate the compliment. And not only is it is it piecemeal some of the some of the news that comes out, but it's so easily uh, misinterpreted and misunderstood. 
and and that doesn't help. It doesn't help that uh, that that people may hear snippets of something that they want to believe are real, but in fact are not. Right. Uh, you know, like the school board takeovers, so to speak. I mean, that's kind of one of the more uh, misunderstood aspects of what's going on right now. Again, while I think all of the school board takeovers, quote unquote, are a good thing, they're, they're not actually taking over the school boards. I mean, those individuals have to resign first. They can't just be yelled at and, and tossed out of the building. So, you know, it's little it's little nuanced things like that. But right, or at least they have to reach the end of their term and have someone run against them. That's right. Yeah. But I, I speaking of the news, there was one thing I noticed. It happened uh, in the the very next couple of days, right after you and I had talked about um, me guesting on your show. Uh, stuff that's in the news that affects my family personally. Um, my younger son, uh, his school district, Rockwood, Missouri, was in the news. Like in national news, Rockwood, Missouri, um, and just uh, to give just enough context, but not to get into like inappropriate levels of drama or something. Um, he does not. He goes there against my will. He's a divorced kid, and the divorce is contentious in court right now. So that that's just just to cover that level of of background or you know context. But we don't need to go any deeper than that. He I, he doesn't go there by my choice, and we're working on that. But gotcha. Rock, but, but my son's own school. Uh, Rockwood School District was in the news just uh, about last week for um, uh, they had been called out because somebody, some teacher or whistleblower or somebody who saw something on a webcam Zoom meeting or something, I don't remember exactly how it got out, but what got out was this, that the uh, principal had told the teachers to make kind of a fake decoy curriculum. Because one of the things that we've seen in the news a lot in education lately is that since um, so many students are attending school virtually remotely by zoom and other things like that on the internet is that parents are seeing more and more about what they're, what, what many teachers are saying in terms of things like leftist indoctrination and, and, uh, you know, priming for communism, socialism, and, and just some of this, uh, uh, you know, what, what's called a critical, uh, race theory that I call critical racist theory that I would brand as racism, but all, all this stuff is just, uh, getting exposed because parents are there to see it because it's, it's being piped in over the internet into their home because their kids attending class remotely. So um, one of the principals at the Rockwood school district in Rockwood, Missouri was just in the news last week for um, telling teachers to um, have different curriculum to show parents than what they're actually telling they're teaching to the kids. Basically, to have sort of a fake decoy watered down curriculum that doesn't necessarily show everything, that kind of edits out things that they that they think parents might find objectionable, and that that you know, and I'm that's my very own kid. That that's where he's going. Like, so uh, this this is a, a point here that I want to make is this is affecting us all. It's affecting us all. Um, whether it's your kid's school that makes the headlines or not. Now, in my case, it is my kid's school that makes the headlines, but this stuff is happening uh, everywhere to all of us. And, you know, and I remember, uh, you know, when I was a teenager in the 80s, I I remember all sorts of profound things that my social studies teachers used to teach back in the 80s, but I don't know what they're teaching these days. But back in the 80s, when my my social studies teachers were teaching about taxes and government and stuff like that, um, they were emphasizing that uh, people in a school district are paying property tax into the school district, even if they don't have kids. 
and the, uh, the my social studies teachers would explain the theory of how even if you don't have kids, you still have a stake in the school district because those kids are turning into adults and they're becoming the adults in that community. And they were explaining the social theory as to why it's appropriate for someone without kids to be paying property taxes into a school district. Um, so, cause you know, I, I, yeah, I, I remember stuff. My, my social studies teachers were teaching different things in the eighties than what they're teaching now. <laughs> but, uh, um, but the, uh, so this is affecting us all. You know, it really is. I mean, it, it affects us all, even if you don't have any kids or even if, uh, you know, last year in 2020, uh, on a talk show in England, I saw a clip um, that was snipped out and used for uh, some news that I was watching. There was somebody in England on a talk show that was talking about how they didn't think that old people should have the right to vote or they thought that old people should have their right to vote stripped away. And their rationale was that, oh, if you're. 80 or 90 years old, you're not going to be around much longer. So you're going to vote for a system that the rest of us are going to have to suffer through because you're probably going to vote for your old fashioned, old timey values. And then the rest of us are going to have to suffer through the consequences of your old tiny, old fashioned values after you're gone. So you're so old, you shouldn't vote because your vote's not going to affect you. And, and the rebuttal just put them to shame. The rebuttal was like, they're not, at that point, you're not voting for yourselves. At that point, you're voting for your grandkids. Yeah, that's, that's beyond outrageous, but I, I also think that that too, to sort of umbrella a number of the points that you just made, is that there's just so much, in, uh, well, I would just call it embedded deception within the entire profession, uh, that, it, it, that it just breeds people who are sneaky, and when those people end up in positions where they're in the public eye, but they're responsible for everyone around them, so to speak, or at least they think they're responsible for, for people around them. For example, you know, I, when I taught school, I never considered a principal of a school building to be my boss. In fact, I never thought of, I never thought of myself as even having a boss, and I never even referred to it as being work. Now, this could have been some deep-seated psychological suppression that I was engaging in, but okay. but either way, I mean, I've, I I always thought to myself that uh, that it's not it's not work. They're not my boss, um, and students aren't customers. Students are my responsibility to teach them the facts. I I have a responsibility to consistently communicate with their parents. So theoretically, the parents are the boss. If the parents don't want their child in my class, great, no problem. If they want them in my room, great, no problem. But I work for the parents. I don't work for the principal. And uh, unfortunately, that that mentality, sort of that I have a mission, I have a moral and and value-driven mission here to, to teach factual content to students, that that becomes perverted somewhere along the way and we know it's in teacher education programs and we know that it that it exists and, and you know the the adult peer pressure that takes place within school environments is massive um, you, you know you get around a couple of infected people in a department in a k-12 school and before you know it you're either acting just like them or you're 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 doing whatever you can to be the exact opposite but um, right. you, you either join or, or there's a schism that's right yeah yeah. And I just think that, 
again, to sort of umbrella the, the larger point here is that, or again, the points that you made is that the removal of God from, from school is an absolute abomination. And, and, and the morals and the values and the consistency of, of discipline and appropriate discipline and um, just thinking, basic thinking skills, all of these combined have created the cesspool that it, that it certainly is now. And then, of course, this is going to kind of lead into the next avenue I wanted to take here. Because, again, I, I think we can talk about the uh, Mr. K Science Academy toward the end and, and people immediately, and they'll immediately jump right into that. Um, but the, you know, of, of course we've got the mask wearing and we've got what's going to take place here over the summer with schools mandating these shots for their students to come back to school and they're going to line up and they're going to take it without a moment's thought. But they're also, they also don't seem to understand that in their own delusions, and I'm talking about the people who run these buildings, that they're actually stepping on the very people that they're supposed to be serving because they were employed and voted in to do that. So the lack of attendance, which I've spoken about on the podcast before, the lack of attendance by students is, I think, going to continue to increase. I don't see it ever returning to to the levels where, where, it, where it was. I mean, we already have teachers certified to teach one subject with a bachelor's degree in one subject and they're teaching three different subjects four different subjects to multiple grade levels mm-hmm. i mean that that's that that happens because of a of a lack of attendance you don't have enough teachers because you don't have enough students going so i think that the business is eating itself to death um what what are your thoughts again and you can get as specific as you want, but what are your thoughts on, on again, what's happened over this last year and where you see things going in the future? Well, um, to lead into that, uh, I'd like to back up to something that you said about the business eating itself. Sure. Um, and I can then lead into your, your question because when you said the business was eating itself, what popped up in my mind was that um, kind of like you said, that you didn't see yourself as being in a position where the principal was your boss. You saw yourself as working for the parents, so you had a different vision. Um, I don't think the schools see themselves as a business. Oh, they see themselves as the parent. Yes, yes, they see themselves as the parent, and they also see themselves as the government. That's right. Um, And so because they see themselves as the parent and the government, and they're not a person who thinks of themselves as a business is thinking about revenue, bottom line, how do I stay solvent? How do I please my customers so they keep coming and giving me money? Um, because they don't see themselves as a business, that's why there's, you know, uh, like you said, it's like they're eating themselves as a business because they don't understand that they are a business. Right. Yeah, they're very bad at being a business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But as far as uh, what I've seen when I read um, articles, projections, and studies, um, everything that I've seen backs up what you said about how the, um, the students, um, I don't want to say dropping out in the old-fashioned sense. I don't mean dropping out like not graduating, or not, you know, but I mean dropping out to find other other avenues of education, (laughs) leaving, we'll say leaving because dropping out has that other connotation. But I think that the trends of students leaving is 
it is predicted to continue everywhere I look. Uh, one of the things that uh, nudged me along the path to launch Mr. K Science Academy was all the way back in, I think it was, oh, it was last fall for sure. It was still 2020. But I saw an article uh, about how many millions of new homeschoolers there were in 2020. And, you know, uh, linguistically, culturally, we can throw the word millions around just because we're exaggerating, just because it's a, you know, high number. Oh, yeah, millions of people are doing it. We really just want to say a lot of people are doing it. But no, this is literal. <laughs> literally millions. There are literally millions of new homeschooling families that just started homeschooling in 2020. And they weren't prepared for it uh, because um, most of the homeschooling families that I've ever listened to on talk radio as guests that I've ever read articles about in magazines or on the internet. Yeah. See, I'm so old. I used to read magazines before the internet, <laughs> but uh, you know, the, the homeschoolers that I, uh, that I've read articles about or uh, read about in books or, uh, or heard on talk radio or whatever, see interviews, all those homeschoolers traditionally did something that took between one to two years to rearrange their whole lifestyle towards homeschooling. Um, it's, it's not uh, atypical to hear stories about homeschooling families that like sold their home and got a smaller home with a smaller mortgage payment, or they, uh, um, they had one of the spouses change jobs so that they could make enough income that one spouse could stay home to teach the kids or they just really maneuvered that one spouse's career and really pushed to get that one position or promotion so that they could make enough money that the other spouse could stay home or, but, um, or they just moved to a totally different community where the cost of living was different. Um, but my point is that these, it's not uncommon that the, the typical homeschooling family does something to arrange their whole life around the homeschooling. And what happened in 2020 to millions of families um, is a metaphor I even have on the website uh, as I sort of kind of explain what we're all about. If you go to MrKScienceAcademy.com, because that's what it just feels like to me emotionally, what it must be like for them, is it's like getting shoved into the deep end of the swimming pool by surprise with your clothes and shoes still on. You know, <laughs> you, know you, get, you get millions of of families in 2020 that were just shoved into homeschooling and they weren't able to prepare. Yeah. And it, I, I, I totally agree with you. And in many cases that works out perfectly for those families because th those sort of immediate growing pains and that immediate shock of being in a situation like that, they end up finding out, wait a minute, we can do this. Right. And I've even seen some memes lately on the internet, just a few here and there about, um, uh, you know, like uh, there was, uh, you know, in history, you know, there were uh, this phenomenon where they, there was like the, the new rich and the old rich. You know, the old rich was like people that could, they were rich because their family had gone back forever being rich. But then the new rich, that was somebody who just made an invention or, or uh, had a windfall in the stock market. Or, you, know, so, you know, so there was new rich and old rich, the nouveau rich. Well, now with homeschooling. There's the old homeschoolers, and then there's the nouveau homeschoolers, and and there's some kind of humorous anecdotes now between um, all these nouveau homeschoolers that just got in, and they get around the old crusty veteran uh, <laughs> homeschooler that's been homeschooling for years. And, yeah, I was homeschooling way back before it was cool. I was homeschooling before COVID. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah.
those are, those are the best, and they're a hundred percent accurate. It's like, oh, welcome to the party. You know, you're uh, better late than never. Yeah. But, uh, d- yeah, but <laughs> but don't show up to our party and tell us how to party. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly right. One, you know, one of the other propaganda lines out there that I hear on talk radio that drives me up the wall, and this right here I think shows another huge disconnect between just sort of the general populace and, and those who think that they're quote-unquote experts or would refer to themselves as experts, is that you'll hear countless people, you know, conservatives and you name it, but they'll just scream at the top of their lungs that virtual learning doesn't work. And that's not true. In fact... It's, it's not only been proven to not be true, uh, virtual learning does work. The problem is, is it's poor instruction. It's the people delivering the quote-unquote online learning. Um, that continues to be the issue. And again, one of the things, and of course, John, both John and I are on Gab, but one of the things that I saw on Gab, and again, it made national news, was an adjunct professor at a university was yelling at a student because this student supported the police and said not all police are bad people and they're not all evil and she just went off on him and said well yeah they are and they're horrible well she's of course been placed on leave or fired one of the two but that right there continues to be again one of the larger instructional mistakes that's taking place most k-12 teachers and university professors should not be on a computer over Zoom or Google Meets or whatever they're whatever they're using, on a day in and day out basis, having face to face meetings with students. That's not why online learning exists. I mean, the whole premise of it and the whole start of it was to allow the individual learner to learn on their own, with a guided outline of content that they have to work through. So you you know you let the mind you let the mind do what it's supposed to do. But it really just drives me up the wall when, when people say virtual learning doesn't work. Kids have right. to all you know all kids have to go back to brick and mortar schools, and the answer is no. Um, as far as the statistics are concerned, that you mentioned at the beginning, back in 2020, I, I believe the the going rate on a year in year out basis for those that were seeking out homeschooling and virtual learning away from their brick and mortar public schools was something like a quarter of a million new students in America per year. And then back in 2020, just between the months of March and June, they had already met and surpassed that yearly quota of over 300,000 American students. I mean, that's incredible. Yes. And And they're not going back. I mean, it's like once you've been uh, to Paris, you know, Sheboygan doesn't look so good anymore. I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, they they realize, wait a minute, I have no restrictions on what information and content I can look up. I can get get on BitChute and and learn about real history and real science, not the fake stuff in the textbooks. Um, I'm not getting yelled at. I'm not having to watch Jimmy sexually harass Sally. I'm not having to watch any of this. You know, it's the person has the ability for the first time in their lives to sink into their own mind. And that's, I think that's just, that's a gift from God right there. Right. But, uh, but yet guidance can be there. And see, um, Oh, exactly. Yeah. The, uh, the, the teacher can remain as a resource, but this right. day in, but you know, the day in day out 
let's meet for eight hours all day long every day thing is still happening over the computer. Right. So one of the things that it, it reminds me very much of uh, in history is um, whenever a format changes, content for that format has to be tooled to that format. And so like in society, we had books and then we had radio and radio was different than books. With radio, you could have voice actors and sound effects. And then we then we went from radio to television. And, um, you know, content needs to be retooled when we get the technology for a new format. You know, there was a, uh, in the 1990s, uh, before people realized that the Internet was going to become what it was going to become, there was a boom that started to happen. It fizzled out because the internet killed it, you know, um, kind of like, you know, VHS killed beta, but there was a boom at the beginning of the nineties. CD ROMs were supposed to be the way to go. I remember I mentioned, I got my bachelor's degree at the university of Missouri, Columbia. I remember taking a tour of that library and they just had these huge stacks of CD ROMs and, and CD ROMs were just going to be, having huge libraries of CD-ROMs is going to be the thing before people realize what the internet was going to be. Um, but as formats change, what we humans do, what society does, because we don't have time to reformat everything. I mean, we don't have time to, whenever society changes paradigms of formats, you've got all this content from the previous format that hasn't been changed over yet. And so, um, uh, when you try to take the old content that was tooled for the old format or the old way of doing things and try to feed it through the new format, it's kind of clunky. And so what, um, what you're describing here is trying to take the regular school day and just have it happen over the web camera. So you're trying to take the in-person brick-and-mortar format but make it happen, or uh, content, but make it happen on a new format. And that's always clunky because it, it is. That's what happens as technology evolves. Right. Yep. And, and I, I think that many schools took that approach because it was, it was the easiest for them without knowing that there were and are countless online universities that exist out there where that's not the case and they're highly successful. Which again, I, I think is a is an interesting segue into Mr. K Science Academy. Go ahead and describe how that came about, um, wh what you do with it, how people can find out more about it, sign up for it, all of it. Oh, absolutely. Okay, so with uh, so I kind of decided um, to take advantage of this homeschool thing, um, you know, and. Uh, and like Dr. Brooks, folks, you know, I, I'm, I'm a Christian, Christian educator, so I check with God about the direction my life is going. And the older I get, the more I do that. <laughs> when I was younger, I used to, I didn't do that so much. I used to have my own ideas a lot more, and they didn't always pan out so great. <laughs> but uh, these days, I, I I check in with, with God a lot more. Um, so I was looking at what to do, you know, uh, with this coming you know, what's happening in the world these days. I'm reading all these articles and I'm getting um, this idea of what could be done with online education. Um, and uh, so a couple of different uh, aspects to it. Um, one of them is 
is uh, at one point in my checkered career, I was a full-time Uber driver for two years. And I remember that uh, I used to, I didn't really meet other Uber drivers because you just don't, you're working by yourself. But I heard a lot about Uber drivers because my customers would always tell me about them. So, so when you're an Uber driver, you don't always meet your colleagues, but you sure hear about them because your customers will tell you. Um, and so I heard uh, about this um, Uber driver in California in the Hollywood area. And apparently back in the day, he had been a special effects expert. And he had sometimes you hear about Uber drivers that have like theme cars. And this guy had a theme car where he actually had like some rubber monster masks and some weird lighting and stuff in his car. And he had told these people that were now my customers telling me the story. Uh, he had told them that uh, back in the day when he'd worked in movies, he spent thousands of dollars and had gone to night school for many years to learn what he knew about special effects. But he said these days, anybody could quickly learn for free off of YouTube everything that he used to know. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so, so what took him thousands of dollars and years of night school uh, now is just right there on YouTube. Well, so that, that to me is, is an inspirational story about what's possible with online education now. But um, uh, I began to realize that, um, okay, now whether you're in education or not, okay, any audience member who has a job at all could relate to this. We've all been in the break room with our coworkers and we've been kind of grousing a little bit about what would happen if we ran the place because we're the people in the trenches. We're the people who really know what the grind is like day to day and what really works and what doesn't work and what's smart to do and what's stupid to do. Like we know because we're the guys and gals in the trenches, but um, the administrators um, or the bosses or the corp people off at corporate or whatever industry you're in, those people seem to be ivory tower people that are far away and removed from reality. And, you know, wouldn't things be great if the people who actually knew what was going on and how to run things were actually the people making the judgment calls. <laughs> and uh, um, so I realized that um, uh, with something like Mr. K Science Academy, and mine is the only one, I this is a trend. Now, it's just barely at the beginning of the trend, but this is a trend. I This is how we can have what you were talking about, Dr. Brooks, where we, the teachers, can cut out the schools as the middleman and work straight for the families. Right. Um, you know, uh, when I was in college, um, some of my um, classmates and, and college fellow college students were waiters and waitresses, and they would share this attitude with me uh, because so much of their money came from tips as opposed to the little minimum wage that they were getting from the restaurant. They told me that their mentality was that they didn't really work for the restaurant. They worked for their regular customers, and they uh, – became friendly with their regular customers, got rapport with their regular customers, and they would brag about how if they changed restaurants, their regular customers would follow them. <laughs> it was their goal to get their regular customers to be more loyal to them as the server than they were to the brand name of the restaurant. And, um, and that's what, um, that's what uh, teachers going independent, going online can do, whether it's Mr. Say, Mr. K Science Academy or somebody else's. That that's what this trend is all about. Um, so uh, I was thinking, well, instead of thinking, well, if I ran the school and just having it be just a grousy conversation with coworkers in the break room, I was like, this is my opportunity to actually run the school for real. <laughs> this is my opportunity to actually be the guy calling the shots. And, you know, and if the 
things uh, don't go well, there won't be anybody to complain to because it was actually me. I'm the guy at the top. So sink or swim is on me. (laughs) It's like I I can't complain about somebody else. And, um, you know, that's pretty exciting, you know, especially when you feel as passionate about something as as uh, I do about education. I don't know what you do about education, you know, because like you say, you're mission oriented, you know. And so this is this is a this isn't just a job or even a career. This is like a vocation and a mission. Those are the words that are strong enough to describe what this is to us. Right. And um, so, uh, but to actually have that in your own hands, to where you can steer it and guide it, um, and not have to put up with some stupid bureaucratic idiocy or some idiot policy or. Um, you know, but you know, they say if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Well, this is like the epitome of that. You know, so um, so I thought this is, um, you know, this is great. And then, um, uh, you know, back to the story about the, the Hollywood guy talking about how you know, on YouTube these days you could learn everything he knew for free and much more quickly. The internet is filled with all kinds of you know, just probably thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of hours and hours and hours of YouTube and everything else that's out there on the internet of pre-recorded lessons and pre-recorded courses. And I've learned a lot from pre-recorded lessons and pre-recorded courses. I'm not knocking them, but, um, I'm an adult and I know what I need to learn and I can be a lot more self-guided, but a young student, you know, who's still a child or even a minor teenager, they need some more guidance. You know, they need, they need that, like, they, like when they get immersed in their own mind, like you said, they do need to be able to check in with the teacher, and the teacher needs to be to, needs to be able to check in with them. Correct. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, um, absolutely. So, yeah, so they they still do need um, a guide. They still do need a teacher. They still do need a facilitator. Um, and so that's uh, that, that's kind of what we're putting together with Mr. K Science Academy. So um, we're starting on June first. Um, and since we're starting in the summer, um, you know, I, I had a business meeting with God one time and I said, God, if we're starting in the summer, you know, the, the regular school years is starts in the fall, it's your fall, winter, spring. That's the regular school year. If we're going to start in the summer, how are we going to get people attracted to, you know, what are we going to offer people in the summer? God said, do CLEP. I'm like, oh, okay. So, so CLEP, a uh, CLEP that stands for college level examination placement. And it's uh, done by the college board, the same people that do AP. A lot more people have heard of AP. I think AP's been around longer. Um, but uh, CLEP tests, like AP tests, those are tests that a student can take um, to test out uh, of hours in college. So uh, you can take that uh, test, you can test out, um, and that can get people way, way ahead uh, of you know, in school, it can get people ahead financially. They're going to graduate faster. If you can eliminate entire semesters of school, that's entire semesters that you're not paying for housing, and you're not, <laughs> and you know, that, it saves all you know, it saves all kinds of money in the in the long run for you and your family. Um, and my uh, my older daughter uh, and my older son, uh, they've both graduated high school by now. They're they're both in college. Um, my older son is about to finish up being a um, is about to finish up his first year as an undergrad, and my older daughter is actually going to be starting her PhD in the fall. She just finished her master's degree. So, um, but they started. My older daughter 
started with like over 30 when she went to college on day one she didn't start as a college freshman she started as a college second semester college sophomore almost a junior so that's fantastic yeah on day one of college she was not a freshman she was a second semester sophomore almost a junior and my son her brother he started um he didn't get as many as she got but Instead of starting as a first semester freshman, he started as a second semester freshman. There you go. And that you know that even even just skipping one semester is is a big deal. So um, so what we're teaching for June, July, and August, we call it our ninety days to CLEP program. Uh, and what we're doing is we're preparing students to take the CLEP test. And one of the reasons that we went with CLEP instead of AP is uh, if you do the research, you find out that the AP test is only given once a year, but the CLEP test is given several times a year, and the AP test is only given in the spring, so we kind of uh, already missed that for this year, so that's one of the reasons why CLEP is a logical choice at this point. Also, the CLEP test is like an hour and a half, the AP test is three hours, (laughs) pardon me, but when I got into researching the difference between them, there are quite a few differences. The AP test is meant more for high school, but the CLEP test is meant for either high school or college. So somebody who's already started college could still take a CLEP test. Uh, The CLEP is accepted at 2,900 universities nationwide. And if you go to clep.collegeboard.org, which I have over the phone with students before um, and kind of remotely guided them through the website as I've been recruiting them for classes, you can see right there at clep.collegeboard.org a list of the 2,900 colleges that'll accept the CLEP. Also, exactly which courses they'll accept CLEP for. You can also see how many hours they're willing to award. And you can also see if that college has a particular grade on the test that or score on the test that they want you to get. Because most of the colleges just want you to pass. But a few of them sometimes they want you to pass with a specific score. So, but yeah, so it's, uh, so CLEP, that's our summer program. And then in the fall, um, which just yesterday, I got fall enroll, a fall enrollment form up at MrKScienceAcademy.com because, uh, and the thing is, uh, one thing about business that I learned a while ago in another business that I was in, um, since education is, I mean, it's, it is a mission, it is a vocation, but money makes the world go around. It is a business too, um, is that uh, if you listen to people, People will tell you what they give you money for if you just listen to them. And a lot of business people can get kind of narrow tunnel vision and they can get locked in on, oh, I only do this certain thing this certain way. And if the customer wants something else, they'll have to go someplace else because I only do this certain thing this certain way. But if you can be broad-minded and you just open your ears and listen to people, people will tell you what they give you money for. And uh, so I've gotten a lot of feedback on Mr. K Science Academy about um, uh, fall enrollment already. And I hadn't even thought about that. I mean, I'm gearing up for a June 1st year in a couple of weeks. We're going to start 90 days to clap. And I was thinking that, oh, yeah, we'll get that going. And at some point during the summer, I'll have to start fall recruitment. But I, I list, by listening to people, I found out, no, fall recruitment time is now. <laughs> because that's what happens when you listen to people. Um, another thing I got from listening to people is, uh, and I had to check with God on this one too, because this was kind of big, was um, 
I really got a lot of feedback about, um, gee, it's too bad that you just do high school because I'd love to enroll my elementary school students. Are you sure you don't do younger students? And I've heard that so much online and on social media and through emails that I took that to one of my God board meetings, you know, because God is like my my business partner, you know, and sure. like, I'm like, God, do you really think I should be teaching young people? <laughs> it's not really my bag. It's not really what I've done. And what would I even teach them? And as soon as I asked God, what would I even teach them? He just flooded my mind with all these ideas. And I'm like, okay, I get it. We'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's perfect. So you offer, more specifically than you offer, elementary level science instruction, middle school science instruction, high school, and then CLEP preparatory. Is that right? Well, the CLEP is for the CLEP is for the summer school. Okay. And then, um, and then for the regular school year, we're going to do like regular school year stuff. And if you could see me here, if this was video, I'd be doing air quotes. It'd be like regular school year stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but uh, so we'll be doing uh, the the elementary grades, middle school. And then for high school, we're going to do like the Trinity, the core Trinity, you know, like biology, chemistry, physics, because that's those are like the core ones that every high school really has to do. And then maybe next year, say God grows this thing. And at, by that point, I've got a team of teachers and it's not just me anymore. Um, if, if we grow, then we'll add electives. We'll do the electives like anatomy and environmental science and forensic science to make you feel like CSI. You know, maybe we can add those those electives like next year for the 2022-2023 the school year. But right now we're working on the 2021-2022 school year. That's fantastic. Sounds like you're on the way to a virtual accredited school. Well, see, I hadn't even thought about accreditation yet because the vision that I've had so far is that it's homeschool support. Right. Um, and because it's homeschool support, the individual families in wherever they are, the 50 states and territories of the United States, um, you know, in 50 states plus territories in the United States, wherever they are, each local state or territory has its own rules about homeschooling. And so the idea is that each family, uh, in most places, as I'm, you're probably sure you're pretty well aware because you uh, teach a lot and, and promote a lot of homeschooling yourself, is that in most places, each uh, family household has to sort of apply to the state and kind of register as their own little mini independent school. And that's how the state sort of sees them as an entity and interacts with them right? Um, in terms of record keeping and stuff. So uh, as long as Mr. K Science Academy is homeschool support, then the onus is really kind of on the parents to uh, make sure that, that they get their kids grades in a format that is going to, uh, be an acceptable transcript for the state for homeschoolers for whatever state they're in because there's 50 states plus all the territories now on my part though i need to be like i said you got to listen to people so if i start to get emails comments on social media phone calls if i start to get parents express a particular need to me then i need to be responsive to that need that's fantastic it's absolutely great well, I'll tell you what, tell people again where they can find your information and your website, and I know you're on Gab, give them your Gab account too if you're interested, and uh, hopefully they get in contact with you, and they they you know, they, they give it a, a square look in the face and say, hey, this, this looks legit, this looks like uh, a very, clearly an important supportive role here. Fair enough. So the, uh, the website is mrkscienceacademy.com. 
And what you can find there right now is you can find uh, uh, enrollment for the Summer CLEP program as well as uh, scholarship applications for the Summer CLEP program. We've been blessed enough to be able to provide uh, scholarships for the CLEP program. Uh, the CLEP program is $300. It's 90 days to CLEP, though, which means that like I'm even going to be available on weekends. I'm not going to teach. I'm not going to have like mandatory classes on weekends. Okay. But I'm going to be available for students to interact with if they need the help. So 90 days to CLEP. Um, so $300 for 90 days. Um, and then I'll even help, um, guide people through the, uh, registration process to register for the CLEP test after they finish my CLEP prep course. Um, and then they, uh, but the scholarships are $200. Um, so we've been blessed to be able to offer that. So, um, and the way to apply for the scholarship is on the application is to not, you don't even have to do any extra work and everybody pretty much is entered for the possible scholarship. We've got five scholarships, um, on the application as it already existed, I've got some essay questions and I thought the easiest way to figure out who gets the scholarships because we only have so many, the easiest way to figure out who gets them would turn it into an essay contest. And they're filling out these essay questions anyway, because it's part of the application. It's on the application anyway. So without them doing any extra work on their part, we can just review their essays when, uh, on May 21st, when we figure out who gets the scholarships. Uh, and then, uh, so right now there's summer school, 90 days to prep. Uh, we're teaching prep chemistry and prep biology. Um, there is no prep physics yet, because uh, I think CLEP is too new for that. Um, but And people can take both courses. If they take both courses, there's a discount on the second course. But I, they also get a warning that's very rigorous, though. Because if you were taking two, I'm, I'm cramming an entire college course into your summer. So uh, one of those could be daunting enough. But if you want both of them, you can do both of them. I just want to caution people that that would be extremely rigorous. Um and then, uh, uh, so there's the uh, summer school application for CLEP. The, there's the um, scholarship information for that. Like I said, just yesterday, by popular demand, I got the applications up for the regular school year. Um, and then there's also um, a link to our Give, Send, Go. Uh, we've got a, a Give, Send, Go crowdfund going uh, primarily for things like um, like science lab equipment and stuff like that. So, um, you know, like it's possible that there could, you know, and I've decided to, you know, cause most crowdfunding needs some kind of, some kind of swag, some kind of perk, some kind of reward system and stuff. And so what I'm planning on doing is I'm going to use a little label gun and I'm actually going to, uh, name our science equipment after the people that donated. So if we use a pH meter, like just to use a name, let's say it was Dr. Sean Brooks. This, this is the Dr. Sean Brooks pH meter we're using for this lab. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> well, again, that's great. And I, you know, I appreciate you coming on and, and describing your entire background and your program. It certainly seems absolutely fantastic. It's clearly an independent avenue. And I, I, I Again, anybody listening to this, I highly recommend you check it out. And again, MrCaseScienceAcademy.com. John, thanks for being on, man. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you so much, Dr. Brooks. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, um, to getting more of your show in. I'm thinking over the summer when I uh, – I, I know I have these classes to teach and everything, but I don't know. Teachers always expect things to slow down over the summer. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes it does. But 
Um, but yeah, you're yeah, and I tell people all about your podcast all the time, and not just the episode we're recording right now that I'm on, <laughs> but I tell people that that uh, you know, oh yeah, you should you should hear Doctor Brooks on American Education FM. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.